Welcome to the Radiant Life Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we pray will inspire your heart and challenge your faith. For more information on RLC, please visit myrlc.family or check us out on social media. Have a blessed day. Now here's your message. I'm Pastor Matt. I'm the associate pastor here at Radiant Life Church, and it is a blessing to be able to speak to you this morning. This is, man, it, it is a Sunday to celebrate because this is the last Sunday before our pastors come home. They're going to be back. Pastor Lance is going to be preaching next week. You're not going to want to miss that. And so we are excited for the time of rest and so thankful for just what God has been speaking into their hearts and their lives over this past month. Uh, the sabbatical that uh, the board and the church has given them to celebrate 10 years of being here at Radiant Life Church. I'm telling you right now, they are ready to go. They are chomping at the bit to get back. Pastor Lance said the other day, I'm talking, I'm like, man, do you feel like you got enough? He's like, I've got like a notepad full of notes. And I'm like, great. That means more work for us when you get back, right? <laughs> and now he's like, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but they are ready to get back. God has just been revealing some things to them. They've had time to rest and recuperate, and we're so thankful for the time they've gotten. Uh, so thank you, church, for that. Well, I have the opportunity of sharing with you this morning, and the title of my message is called The Table. Uh, I got a table up there. It's kind of a dead give giveaway of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, but I was going through an old hard drive the other day. Does anybody have old hard drives or USB sticks? Or They're just full of pictures. I'm, we're the only ones that have all of our family pictures just on a hard drive that's stuck somewhere. And we never go through them, never look at them, never do anything with them. Well, yesterday, just the other day, I had this hard drive out and I was looking for something. And here I find a bunch of old family photos all the way back at 2004. Everybody remember 2004? I just had my 44th birthday. And so you know you're getting old when 18 years seems like yesterday. 18 years ago, I'm looking at these pictures and Kim and I, she looks just as beautiful now as she did back then. I have a little bit more gray in my beard. I gotta keep my hair short, otherwise I, I have a lot of gray. Um, so I keep it short on purpose. But as I was looking through these photos, I came across photos of our first apartment together. Kim, do you remember our first apartment? It was a one-bedroom apartment. We were still in college in Springfield, Missouri. But a particular picture caught my eye that I just wanted to show you this morning. It is the picture of our first dining room table. Isn't that glorious? Like, I remember, I remember hosting people. And having couples over, friends over for dinner. And we barely had enough room to fit all of our plates on this little table. This is a card table, by the way. It's the best we could do at the time. And uh, we hosted some dinners around there. And you couldn't move too far if you were in the back seat because the washer and dryer are right behind you. It was tight. It was a small apartment. It worked, and we were thankful for it. We didn't keep it that long because my mother-in-law found a table on the side of the road that she gave us. Um, so somebody's junk became our treasure, and we were thankful for it, but I hated that table. It was awful. It was round. It had a big glass top, and the chairs were rounded to fit perfectly in, and it was metal, and they poked you all the time. It was, I hated that table. It was uncomfortable. We had that table up until we moved here to Wadsworth, and Pastor Lance and Angel got us a housewarming present of our, the table that we currently have in our house. And this is the table that's currently in our dining room. Um, my wife has already, we've had this for about seven years, seven years now we've had this table and she wants a different one. 
she, she wants, and it's not bad. It's not that this table's not good. She wants a farm table. And when I say farm table, she wants a farm table with like 12 seats at it that would take up our entire dining room. And I'm like, Kim, that is very impractical. We can't even walk around the whole thing. But that's what she wants. She wants a huge farm table. Am I wrong? No. My, lo- my wife loves having people over. She wants a big old table. But I love our table. I love our table. It's got a lot of wear and tear on it. That's what happens when you have three kids. Um, and I could list this on Facebook Marketplace, and I'm not getting top dollar for it because it's worn out. It is worn out. There is a spot at the end of the table, at the far seat, that is discolored and worn out because that's where I sit every Monday morning and have my hot bowl of oatmeal. Yes, oatmeal. I turned 44. I'm old. Don't judge me. But I eat oatmeal every morning. And that's, it's worn out right there because the bowl is hot. There's other places on this table that are completely, have no stain left on them because my daughter decided to use fingernail polish remover. And we found out that fingernail polish remover is not just good for removing fingernail polish. It's also good for removing the stain and paint off your table. So there's some marks in there um, from that. There's also some dents in the table that we've had to color in with Sharpie where I have learned not to argue with my wife over dinner or she will throw utensils and the table will take the brunt of that load and put big dents in the table. Yeah, lesson learned on my part. It was my bad. It was my bad. We, uh, this table has had a lot of wear and tear. We've had a lot of family dinners around this table, a lot of great food that my wife has cooked, amazing meals. She's also made meatloaf, and um, I'm not a big fan of meatloaf. Um, I get ragged on all the time about her meatloaf, and I'm like, it's not that her meatloaf is bad. She makes good meatloaf. I just don't like meatloaf. So when she asks me, hey, how was the meatloaf? I'm like, it was okay. That is fantastic. That's like gourmet meatloaf. It's fantastic. So don't hate on me because I say my wife has also made oatmeal around this table. But this table is showing a lot of wear and tear, but I love it because this table and the stories from our table, Abriella, Abriella, my youngest daughter is over here. We go around and have family dinners. And every time we do, what are the two things we ask Abriella? What is the What's the best part of your day? And then, it, then we follow up with what's the worst part of your day? And we share the best part and the worst part of our days. And more often than not, the, the answer is the best part of the day is gathering around the table and eating dinner. Um, and then sometimes we throw in, what are you grateful for? And my youngest daughter, she's my little sassy pants. She's, she's got a lot of spirit in her. And uh, we thought we had a breakthrough moment with her the other day when we asked, what are you grateful for? And she said, I'm so grateful because God has given me a loving, kind teacher. And I'm like, Abriella, that is great. That is so good. Um, Come to find out she loves her loving and kind teacher because she doesn't give her homework. And that's why she loves her so much and is so thankful for God, for her teacher who doesn't give her homework. But the stories we share around this table are the stories that have defined us as a family they are the stories um, that have made up the, have given us identity. And it's all about what happens at this table. Our family has been forged and developed at this table. And so for that reason, it has sentimental place in my heart. Because we've eaten a lot of dinners around this table. And the family table is a fantastic thing. 
So many good things. Leonard Sweet, in his book, From Tablet to Table, he lists a couple of those things where he says a frequent family dinner is the number one factor for parents raising kids who are drug-free, intelligent, and kind human beings. It's also the number one shaper of vocabulary in young children and the number one predictor of future academic success for elementary-aged children. It's one of the best safeguards that you can do against child, to ward off child obesity. It's uh, the best prescription to prevent eating disorders among young girls and is a variable most associated with lower incidences of depressive and suicidal thoughts among those who are 11 and 18 years of age. The family table can have profound, a profound effect on your family. George Myerson, a scholar, conducted a study of happiness throughout history, and he found that humans are most happy hanging with friends and family, gathered around the table with good food and conversation and laughter. And in fact, the only thing that would make um, that moment even better is if you move that table outside into the sunshine. And all the people who love summer said amen, right? Myerson says in that moment you have won. If you have friends and family around a table in the sun, you have won the lottery of life. Joy, if you're looking for joy, get around a table with friends and family. If you're looking for happiness, a good indicator may be how much time you are spending around the table. And just as the table has the ability to transform our families, it also has the ability to impact us spiritually. Jesus founded his entire ministry around a table. Constantly, you see throughout the Gospels of Jesus sitting around the table. In Luke, there are some statements that say they are the Son of Man statements. The Son of Man came to. The Son of Man came for. And in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, we find the purpose and the why that Jesus came. And it says this, that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his purpose, to come to seek and to save lost people. That was his mission for coming to this earth. But in Luke chapter 7, if, if that was why Jesus came, how did Jesus go about doing it? Well, Luke chapter 7 says that the Son of Man came eating and drinking. Jesus was a foodie. He loved to sit around the table. He loved to eat, and he did some of his best ministry there. The book of Luke is full of it, from using the table to minister to a tax collector in Luke 15, to being anointed by a prostitute um, in Luke chapter 7 providing a miraculous supply of food for over 5,000 people. I would never want to have a dinner party of 5,000 people. That's where I draw the line. 12 table, that's cool. 5,000 person table, no thank you. I've got to have limits, right? Kim, we're setting limits here. No 5,000 person table. He taught a lesson about slowing down and just learning to be in God's presence to, at the home of Mary and Martha around the table in Luke 10. He gives religious leaders a tongue lashing at a table in Luke 11, and he urges others to not just invite their friends, but invite poor around a table in Luke 14. Theologian Robert Karras concludes that the Luke's gospel alone, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Jesus liked to eat. There are other, another person was asked to describe the book of the gospels in three statements or less, and the best he could do was that God loves you, God has forgiven you. Let's eat. There are stories after story about food, and I love how Jesus tied himself to food. And just this image that uh, something has to die in order for us to live, right? Something has to die in order for us to live. 
Not only that, but it's something we have to do two to three times a day. If you're a teenager, way more than that, right? You're like 10 times a day, they're eating. But he tied himself to something that sustains our life physically and marked himself with that because he is the thing that changes our life spiritually. And his ministry happened around the table. And it wasn't a ministry that was just lost when Jesus uh, left this earth because the whole, the New Testament um, is full of stories. The book of Acts is full of stories where they develop church around a table. We have this nice big building, and this is fantastic. This is great. But it wasn't until the Roman Emperor Constantine made Christianity the national religion that larger auditoriums like this began to become more commonplace. They met in homes around the table. In fact, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, and they shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Church happened around the table. Friends, this table has, is a vital tool to our spiritual growth. Because it's around this table where real relationships are formed. Around this table, this table is a place where rejected people can be accepted. It's a place where family is developed, where strangers become neighbors and neighbors become family. As we sit around this table together, as we get to know each other's stories, relationships are formed. And as a result, Jesus Christ can be revealed and life change can happen and transformation can happen. I, I think of the story of Zacchaeus where Jesus invited himself over to his house. And as a result of sitting around a table, his life was forever changed drastically. It's a place for us to encourage each other, to worship and to pray with each other. It's a place where community is forged, where needs are met, not just spiritual, but physical, where we learn to serve each other out of mutual love and respect. It's a place that of spiritual transformation around this table, not just for our families, but for each other in this church. And we know how important this table is important, but as important as this table is, the tragedy is that many have abandoned the table. Many have forsaken and walked away from the table. What used to take uh, over 90 minutes 60 years ago, now the average family dinner takes less than 12. 84% of parents agree that family dinner is good, but only 50% of dinners are actually eaten together. And that number is even less when you think of how many dinners are eaten without a TV in front of them. Parents, and it's no wonder parents only spend about an average of 38 minutes a week in meaningful conversation with their kids. And it's not just in our families that, that the table is being forsaken. It's also in our churches where we talk weekly with people who are feeling uh, disconnected, who are feeling lonely, feeling isolated, struggling with their self-worth and insecurity because they, they, they don't have relationship. They're struggling in their relationships with people. And sometimes as a result, struggling in their relationship with God. It's a pl we, we wonder why we, sometimes we feel stagnant 
in our relationship with God. And we struggle to see transformation because God didn't create us to be ponds. He created us to be rivers where his life could come into us. His spirit could flow through us into other people. But when we forsake this table and we're we become spiritually obese where we're consuming God's word and we're consuming things in our life, but we have no outlet for it. And we wonder why our life is stale and stagnant. Word of God isn't coming as alive as what it used to. Maybe it's because we lost the table. Maybe uh, we have turned from community and what happens here at church. We've turned it into a place of consumerism where church is more about what we can get out of it rather than what we can contribute to it. And, and maybe, maybe, just maybe it's all tied back to the fact that we have forgotten about the table. Because the table was meant in the early church for all believers to get together to encourage one another. It was a central place. What once was a central place in the home has now become an afterthought. Friends, we need to reclaim the table this morning. Not just for our families, but for each and every one of us in this room. For our church, we need to reclaim the table. So how do we do that? Three things I just wanted to give you quickly this morning. If you take notes, you can write this down. The first thing we need to do is we need to reject our excuses. Reject our excuses. In Luke chapter uh, 14, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable of the great feast. And hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent servant to tell the guests, come to the bank, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began to make excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. Amen. (laughs) I love you, Kim. (laughs) I can laugh about that because it's completely opposite. We'll get to that in a second. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you can find to come so the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Friends, here's what I know is that when we make excuses, we miss out. When we make excuses to not partner with what God is calling us to do, we miss out on the benefits that God is providing. He has a feast prepared, but how many excuses can we make? I laugh about this statement of saying amen because Kim and I, that it couldn't be complete more opposite. She's extremely extroverted. I'm completely introverted. And as a result, I'm like, I'm really good at making excuses. Super good. When it comes to peopling, I can make laundry feel like an end time event. Like, this is something I, it's life or death. I need my underwear clean or I can't function. I can't go out. I'm so sorry. I can't come over. I've got to do laundry. And I hate doing laundry. Nobody likes doing laundry. But I can find an excuse, an excuse for just about anything. Because sometimes people, and I get a bad rap. Hear me on this. I get a bad rap. Let me explain. I love people. 
I like people. I just don't have the tolerance for people that my wife does. My wife gets charged up and energized. I'm like, yes, more people the merrier. I'm like, I can meet with people. I invest as much as I can for as long as I can. And about two hours in, I'm like, okay, it's time to go. I pat my wife on the leg. Like, stop talking. Let's, let's wrap this up. Let's go. I love these people, but I only love them two hours worth. And their two hours is up. Let's go. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm not alone. I love people, but sometimes the thought of community, community takes work. Community is hard. Community, embracing community means I've got to clean my house. Embracing community means I've got to have my kid fight with my kids to pick up the room. Right, Abriella? Yeah, we got to fight with you to pick up your room all the time. Her room is trash, by the way, all the time, 24-7. It is trash. Community is difficult. And for me, the thing I have to, the excuse, biggest excuse I have to push aside and let go of is the initial thought of getting out and peopling. Actor and director Woody Allen has a quote that I'm like, man, I just need to make this my motto because he says 90% of life, 90% of living is just showing up. 90% of living is just showing up. And that's what I, I need to do in my life is I need to push past excuses because when we make excuses, what we do is we set ourselves up to miss out on the feast that God has prepared, the work that God wants to do. We need to push past and reject our excuses. I do not want to stand before my king and give an account of my life and all the people that God had brought my way to invest into my life, to speak into my life, all the people that God had brought into my life that I had the opportunity to speak into and minister to that I made excuses for. There will be no excuse. There will be no justifiable excuse on that day to say, I didn't have time. Friends, we make time for what's high priority for us, not just for our families, but for each other in this body of believers. We need to reject our excuses if we're going to reestablish the table. Secondly, we need to release the gift of hospitality. Release the gift of hospitality. Hospitality, some debate whether or not this is actually a spiritual gift or not. Uh, Peter, I think, lumps it in enough for, for me to, to, to feel solid enough to say I believe it is a spiritual gift. But even if it's not, it's tied in to the spiritual gifts of serving and kindness. In Romans chapter 12, 6 through 8, says, In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, then serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. We need to release the gift of hospitality. Peter in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 10 says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very word of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We need to release the gift of, of hospitality, but it's, it's not just a gift. It's something that we're all responsible for. In fact, 
uh, Paul in First Timothy and First Timothy and Titus, both places said, if you want to be an elder in the church, you have to exhibit a characteristic of hospitality. In other words, you can't serve in the church if you're not first serving in your home. Now, in the early church, that's kind of easy to say because the church met in your home, and it kind of be a really lousy church if you showed up and gathered and the person who owned the home was like, get out, your time's up, God's moving, I don't care, boom, kick them out the door. They were to exhibit hospitality, and it's something we are all responsible for, but there are certain individuals that have the gift of hospitality. The gift of hospitality that when they serve a meal, it brings healing to the soul. That when they open up their home, and you walk in and they give you a hug, it's like the very arms of Jesus are hugging you. Some people have that gift. The grace of God is on them to administer healing through their hospitality. And what I know is this past two years have been crazy. They have taught us that isolation saves lives, and I'm not doubting that. I don't question that. I don't doubt that because I believe it to be true that for the sake of our hospital and our healthcare workers, that has slowed the spread of the virus, and now we're on approaching the other side of that. But it's not without consequence that many people have sat on this gift God has given you. It's been sitting dormant. And you might be frustrated. You might not even know why. But friends, we need to release that gift because the church needs your gift. And if you're here this morning and God has given you the gift of hospitality and you've been sitting on it because you're just waiting for somebody to give you permission, hear me loudly, hear me clearly. You have permission to open your home. We need it. You have permission to open your table and, and invite people in because we need it. The ministry and the gift that God has given to you no longer has to be hidden no longer has to be bound. It needs to be exercised for your sake, for the sake of people around you. We need you. We need your gift. So we open our homes and we release that gift of hospitality. Lastly, all right, this is a side comment. Can I just say a side comment real quick? I think part of hospitality is learning how to welcome people and how to be gracious with people and how to serve people and how to have the art of listening. Can we, can we make a pact here today that when we sit at this table and we sit with other people, can we put the phones away? Can we set up a basket, put them on silent and drop them off, right? Put the phones away and let's learn to how to have a conversation. Let's learn how to listen because in the midst of gathering around the table, it's not just a relational thing, it's a spiritual thing. And sometimes I'm guilty of it too. I'm guilty of it too, of pulling up my phone and being more enamored with what's happening there than what's happening with the person next to me. And we need to learn how to be present with those who are in our presence, right? Let's put our phones away. Can we do that? Parents, get on your teenagers. They bring their phone to the table, dump it, right? Like, get rid of that, toss it. Anyways, that's a side remark. We need to release the gift of hospitality. And then lastly, we need to rediscover communion. Rediscover what communion is. In 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, 
Paul is uh, addressing the church in Corinth and correcting them when it comes to the Lord's Supper because they were using and abusing the Lord's Supper. And he gives these instructions, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, we are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. This morning, you walked in, and you have a communion cup, a cracker, and some juice that we are going to partake in communion together. And that's a good thing. What we do here corporately, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, is a good thing. But when I read this passage, I, I can't help but think that the this that Jesus is talking about, do this in remembrance of me. I've always related that to just eating a really stale cracker and drinking a little cup of juice. I always want more juice after it's done because that cracker can be dry, right? <laughs> Give me some more juice. I always related this to, to just those elements, but as I read through the scripture, as I'm studying this, I'm, I can't help but wonder, maybe the this that Jesus is talking about isn't just eating bread and drinking wine. Maybe the this has to do with everything that encompasses the table. What I know is Jesus instituted this sacrament during the, the Passover, the Passover meal. And the Passover was not just a something that was done in a dark room, even though we have paintings of like, oh, it's really somber and it's really dark. And um, the Passover was eight, an eight-day party, an eight-day party commemorating the Israelites' release of captivity from the Egyptians, all the plagues that were associated, the Red, the Red Sea that was parted, all that stuff that happened. It's a, it's a party and it's a celebration and it's eight days long. And this supper was just part of the Passover feast. And Jesus took and, and made that breaking of the bread and the cup a part of the feast. And it's something the New Testament church continued to, to carry on, where they, they did something uh, weekly, sometimes daily, called the agape feast. And the agape is just the love feast, where everybody brought all their food together. Those who had much shared with those who had little, and they all gathered together around the table. And it's in that setting that they broke the bread and remembered Jesus' body that was broken. They drank the cup and they remembered the blood that was spilled for them. And it was in that setting, that feast, that they celebrated the Lord's Supper. It was at the table. And what we do here is good. What we do here is great. But friends, it's like LaCroix water. Anybody drink LaCroix? It's got like just enough fruit that you know there's something in there, but it kind of tastes like somebody chewed up watermelon bubble gum and then spit in a cup and put it in there? LaCroix water. What we do here is a taste. What we do here is a taste, but it's not meant to be the whole thing. If you want to celebrate the fullness of communion, invite somebody to lunch. And as you're sitting at the table and you're breaking bread and you're drinking the cup, invite Jesus's presence into the midst and experience communion to its fullest. Invite somebody into your home, and you may not have bread. It might be Taco Tuesday. Break that shell. Drink that Pepsi, Coke, whatever you like. But in the midst of it, invite Jesus into the presence, into your presence. 
There's another table that, that I think of when I think about the Feast of the Lord's Supper. And it's this, this table. This is the table I grew up at. It's a big old oak table made by the Amish. It's heavy. And if, if and when my parents move on to eternity, I, don't, I think that, how, that table is going to be demolished with the house because nobody's carrying that thing out. It weighs a ton. It's so heavy. But this, this table is the table that I grew up at. It's where I had family dinners with my, my, my parents and my siblings. It's where I learned my brother is an absolute moron. Because every day after school, he, if he got in trouble at school, he got in trouble at home. And every day at dinner, my dad would ask him, John, did you get in trouble today? And the excuses would start flying like crazy. And I'm just laughing under my breath. I'm like, you are a moron. What an idiot. How do you get in trouble every single day at school? Dumb stuff. He broke a coat hanger one time because he was hanging on it and tried to blame it on another kid. And he got in trouble for it. But this is the table that, that I grew up. And even to this day, I love sitting at this table. Because every time we do, it's full of stories. It's full of laughter. As we break bread and we share time around a table. And this is the table that I think of when I think of the Lord's Supper. Because I can only imagine the early church fathers, the apostles, the disciples, those who were gathered around the table sitting and telling stories and celebrating. I have a hunch because the gospels weren't written until decades after the death and resurrection of Christ is that the table is the place where the stories of Jesus were shared and hearts were encouraged. Do you remember when Jesus tore the roof off that guy? Those guys tore the roof off his house to lower that dude down so that Jesus could touch him like and heal him. That dude was mad about how his house got jacked up. Do you remember when Jesus called the Pharisees a brood of vipers? They did not like that. They were not happy about that. But man, the passion for his house and God's temple was so extreme. Remember when he flipped those tables? Man, that was like, just stay out of Jesus' way. Don't get, don't, he, no, yeah, no, not doing that. But the stories that were shared around were the stories that birthed the early church. And their numbers were added to daily because they sat around that table and they shared what God was doing. Friends, we need to recapture and rediscover what it means to be in communion. Communion with our Heavenly Father, but communion with one another, where we are sitting around the table and we are celebrating, we are, we are feasting. Paul says, hey, you, when you come to the Lord's Supper, check your heart. Check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Check your heart. And examine. And for, for, sometimes we make communion what we do here all about that. But when call, Paul encourages them to do that, what he's telling them to do is do the hard work of repentance and self examination before you show up to the table. Because when you show up to the table, it's a party. It's a party because we remember what Jesus has done for us. We encourage one another so that we can face tomorrow. Friends, that's what the table is all about. We need to recapture that element of communion. Invite somebody to dinner. What would happen if our family's dinner began to take on a sense of communion? 
where before we started eating, we invited the Lord's presence, and we took time in the midst of that to acknowledge how good God is and so thankful for the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus and what it means for us. What if we invited Jesus to our family dinner table? What if we invited Jesus to Applebee's with us? What if we invited Jesus to the places that we gather in Starbucks over a cup of coffee? What if we invited Jesus into that? Like I said at the beginning, I love how Jesus tied himself to food. It's something we have to do two to three times a day. What an opportunity to acknowledge how good God is and thank Jesus for what he's done. Friends, we need this table. We need each other. This table, what happens here is a dress rehearsal for what we'll experience one day in heaven. It's a dress rehearsal. And if we forsake it now, we're behind the ball. We're we're late to the game because we're going to feast with him one day. And maybe you're here today and you've never accepted that invitation to Jesus' table. Friend, today is your day. Revelations says that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And anybody who opens it, he will come in and eat with them. He will come in and dine with them. He will come in at their table. Friends, there's an invitation for each and every one of us to be a part of the table today. Not just the physical table, but the table one day in eternity. And if you have never made that decision, I encourage you. We're going to take communion here in a second. There's going to be a song that plays. But would you make that a matter of prayer? Would you simply ask Jesus, ah, Jesus, I recognize that you have an invitation for me to sit at the table. I don't feel good enough. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Make me Lord of my life. I don't want to miss out. I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of everything. I want to live for you. Would you make that decision? For those who have made that decision here today, we get to celebrate. It was we partake in communion. And it's not just a a humble, somber act, but it's a time to celebrate and rejoice what God has done for us. Because the body of Jesus has been broken for us. The body of Jesus has been broken so that we can be made whole. The grape, the cup of Jesus, his blood has been spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. He who was sinless, without sin, perfect and unblemished in every way, gave his life so that we could be free. And friends, that's worth celebrating. And this morning, we're going to partake in communion. There's a song that's going to play. I pray that it ministers to you. At any point during the song, feel free to take communion, pray, do what you need to do. Um, But I pray that this song ministers to you. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to come before your table, to thank you for your blood and your body that was broken for us, that was shed for, for the remission of our sins and the forgiveness of our sins, that we could stand before God in right relationship with you, Lord, that we could be a welcome guest at your table and a part of your family. Lord, I pray that you would bless this time and bless each person as they take this morning. In Jesus' name.
So this act of remembering, in biblical perspective, the act of remembering was living in the fullness of what has been done for us in the past. So where do we go from here? What do we do next, friends? It's, it's, it's easy. We reject our excuses. We release hospitality. We rediscover communion. And we, we bring back our tables for our families and for our church. 
And there is no better thing that I can push you towards or encourage you in than uh, something we are actually starting this month, starting back up life groups. There is nothing we do here in the church that embodies the table more than life groups, where we, we literally get to go in somebody's home and eat a meal together and share about the goodness of God and what God is doing in our lives. Pray with one another. I, I was reading through the list of like evaluations of life groups and praise reports, and it's just constantly, again and again, we shared needs and we prayed. We shared needs and we prayed. Friends, that's the New Testament church. This is great what we do here, but if you want to recapture the essence of the table, join a life group. Join a life group. 90% of living, just showing up. Just show up. Maybe God has given you the gift of hospitality. We need your home. Every year, we, I think last year we had like 170, 180, it might be more than that, people signed up for life groups, and some of the homes were bursting at the seams. We need your home. If you have that gift, release that gift of hospitality. Sign up today. Be a part of what God is doing. We're going to make it easy for you. There's going to be a text that goes out with a link that you can use. You can stop by our Connection Center or just visit our website, myrlc.family backslash life groups. But you might have excuses, and I'm like, oh, yeah, B, we talked about that right, right here. We talked about that this morning. You, may not, you might have all the excuses in the world, but let's push past those. Let's, re let's reject those. Let's release that hospitality. Let's embrace the communion of what it means to gather together around some good food, and good company, laugh, and encourage, and share stories. Amen. So let's be a part of that.